when we're talking about things like rejuvenation and really curing aging, the only way I see it is really we have to redesign human life. We have to redesign human biology. And the only way you can do that is by modifying our genes, is by tweaking our genes. Uh, you know, we may need quite a lot of That's why I'm excited about things like synthetic biology and this artificial chromosomes approaches. Thank you. And it's a pleasure and honor to have you on Change I Am Possible, which is India's first future tech podcast. So Dr. Joan Pedro is a scientist and futurist following training in genetics at Harvard Medical School. He's currently a professor at the University of Liverpool in England. His lab studies the aging process and how we can manipulate it to fend off age-related disease and improve human health. In addition, Joan has a deep interest in technological trends and their future impact on society. Dr. Joan Pedro is the founder of Magellan Science Limited. He also advises, consults for various organizations, and is in his spare time also composes music, is a performing stand-up comedy and a footballer. It's a really a pleasure and honor to have you, and I'm super excited for this conversation. So, so can you start by describing aging? You know what aging is? Why do we age? And can we control, stop, or reverse aging? Um so 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 that's a good question i mean what is aging i guess there's there's different definitions people use i like the the definition of i tend to use a fairly broad definition as a um, an age related process inevitable process of loss of viability uh an increase in vulnerability accompanied by uh degeneration and an increased mortality with age so so that's very broad that that but essentially what it means is that we fall apart. We degenerate uh, with age after a certain age because, of course, what, what I think is fascinating about aging is that, you know, we, we, um, we go through this process of development, which is incredible, which is almost magical. We go from one tiny cell to a whole human being, uh, and this, we go through this amazing process, and then, which, which I think is incredible. And then the very, I would think, simpler task of just keeping us alive and maintaining us is not possible. The, we, we cannot, biology didn't evolve that way. Um, and so we start to degenerate and eventually develop diseases and die. Um, so that would be my definition of aging. Uh, I guess in terms of what causes aging, we still don't know. I mean, that would be the short answer. I mean, there's a lot of hypotheses like the idea that DNA damage is important in aging. Um, so that there's various theories of aging. Um, but we, I mean, frankly, we don't know, particularly human aging, we don't know why human beings age. Um, having said that, there are causes for optimism, so to speak, because, uh, you know, going back to, to, to what you were saying, um, to your question, it is possible to some degree to manipulate aging in animal models by genetic manipulations and by dietary manipulations. Yes, through, go ahead. Through your research, what, why, why do you think, what's your hypothesis about why people age? So I I guess I guess I don't have an hypothesis. I don't know would be the short answer, and I want to find out. So part of what I do is a, a data driven approach. So I look into data uh, from from aging, from genetics, uh, from various omics, high throughput approaches, and I try to make sense of it. So it, it's uh, it's a different way uh, of doing research. So I don't have an hypothesis and go and test it. I mean, although we do that sometimes as well. But in the context of understanding aging, it's more of, uh, let's see what the data tells us. Let's see what we can learn from all of the data that is out there that can provide insights on aging. Now, when you do that, I mean, I do think that the idea that changes or alterations to the DNA 
um, at a driving factor of aging is, I would say, the most promising or at least the one that is most sup supported by the data. It doesn't mean it's right, but it is the one that's most supported by the data. So some of the works we have done has been based on that hypothesis. But I wouldn't go as far as saying that that's written in stone for me, that's what I want to test. No, I, I mean, I take a fairly agnostic uh, or, or open-minded perspective that we don't know what causes aging, so we let's try to find it out. I, I guess I mean, there's so much little that we know about uh, human anatomy and whatever it does. You know, I mean, there are some of the best minds at this point in time trying to figure out our human cognitive structure or, or, or DNA. Now, Craig Venter decoded the entire genome structure in the year 2000. We are in 2020 now. So what has the understanding of a human genome sequence brought to the healthcare industry? And how much do we actually know about, you know, after understanding the human uh, genome? And, and what? how much do you think is still way beyond our, our reach at this point in time? So, so that's a very good question about the genome. Yes, it was uh, amazing. Um, the sequencing of the genome. Uh, I mean, not just... Uh, let's say the original sequencing of the genome, but the fact that we can now resequence human genomes at a fairly cost-effective. So you can sequence your genome if you're interested by less than $1,000. So that is, that is quite remarkable. Um, I guess the, the point is, although we have made a lot of advances and we have you know, sequenced the, the, the human genome and tried to analyze it, it's a very big genome. So we have 3 billion base pairs uh, of data. We have about 20,000 protein, protein coding genes. We have God knows how many non-coding uh, genes, um, maybe 10,000, 20,000, nobody knows for sure. So the point is we have a lot of complexity in the data. So, so we know, yes, we know all of the instructions there are let's say in the book of life but that book is has three billion letters and um, hundreds of thousands of of words and we don't know exactly how the words mean what they mean all of them so there are words i.e genes that we know what they mean we know what they do but there's loads of them that we don't know we have no idea what they do <laughs> so so that's why it's so complicated to to figure all of this out so to speak is because we are going from <laughs> we're going from a, a lot of data, but a lot of it that we don't understand, and trying to then untangle a complex process. And this is not just for aging. I mean, development would be another idea. We don't understand how development works. As I mentioned earlier, it's an incredible thing how we go from a single cell to a whole human being. There's been advances in simple model systems like C. Urkins, like C. elegans, you know, worms, which which have which are tiny organisms. So there's been advances there, but a human being, we have no idea. That 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 really is the point. We have a few clues here and there. Oh, that gene is important for development. Um, you know, the same for uh, actually. I, I tend to consider aging. Um, not as the most complex biological problem we can focus. You could argue develop may or may not be more complex. I would certainly think the, the human brain is more complex. How we think, I mean, that's, that's incredible. And again, we don't know. <laughs> so, so my point is there's, biology is very complicated. Biology is very complex. And even 
with a lot of information that we have, making sense of that information and interpreting it is not that straightforward. Um, and I mean, that's part of the work my lab tries to do. We try to analyze genomes. We try to analyze all of this information that is available and make sense of it. But it's not trivial. So you rightfully pointed out, obviously, your human uh, cognitive structure, I think it, it's, it's the master of this thing over there. So you've got about 70 billion neurons, 100 trillion synapses, and there are so many companies who are trying to kind of figure out what it, it is doing and possibly kind of map it to, uh, you know, a computer, create a brain-computer interface, you know. But, you know, that's so much, uh, I mean, can be done once we completely understand how a human being functions. Now, you said that uh, today we can sequence a human genome completely right so today if i i, I do a, a sequence of my dna what 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 are the positive benefits of it for my healthcare right now currently and what will be the benefits of doing a genome sequence maybe in the next three to five years so i guess the short answer is there's there's some things you can learn but not a lot of them so you know, outside of the context of age, I think in the context of aging, the information we have, the knowledge we have in terms of how the DNA influences our longevity is still very limited, at least in humans. I mean, there has been advances in animal models. And we know of some genes in animal models that we can manipulate, we can tweak in order to manipulate aging. But in human beings, we actually know very little. Um, there are diseases, however, you can do genetic tests, you can do genome sequencing, for which you will get, get an answer. There's Mendelian diseases in which you'll get a yes or no answer. If you have that genetic mutation for that disease, you will have the disease. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, but most diseases or most diseases, the, the most frequent age-related diseases are not like that. You know, um, things like cancer, or at least most types of cancer, there are cancerous types that are quite you know, deterministic. Um, Alzheimer's disease, um, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, you know, all of these, or this, all these complex diseases um, are not one single gene. They're many genes. So, and same for longevity. You know, longevity, how long you live is not just single gene. It's many genes that influence how long you live. So, if you analyze your genome and if you look for this genetic variants, you will get some clues to your disease susceptibility and longevity, but it's very far from being deterministic with the exception of Mendelian diseases for which, yes, you will get a yes or no um, answer for those. Um, so some specific mutations, if you have a mutation in the gene, um, you will develop a certain disease. But by and large, age, aging, age-related disease, longevity, uh, these are complex phenotypes, complex traits um, that are influenced by many genes. And so you, you don't get a yes or no answer. You don't... Um, you can do genome sequencing and it will give you some clues regarding your incidence of particular diseases, but it, it, it's not determined. It's not really that final. <laughs> you may have higher incidence or higher genetic susceptibility to, say, Alzheimer's disease and not develop Alzheimer's. You know, that's perfectly possible and vice versa. You know, so, so it's still very early days, I think, to determine. And of course, the other factor is that there's also environmental uh, influences in uh, longevity, in um, a lot of diseases, a lot of age-related diseases that, that play a role. So you have to take those into account as well. Right. So, so by environmental impact, you mean the epigen epigenetics, right? So yes, I mean, see, uh, we... Uh, right. Yeah, well, so by environment, I mean uh, things like lifestyle, you know, whether you 
exercise or not, whether you eat healthy, what, I mean, what's, are you obese or not? Uh, do you smoke? I mean, smoking is a major risk factor for lung cancer. So if you smoke a lot uh, for many years, you have a higher probability of developing smoke, uh, sorry, lung cancer. So that, that, that's what I mean. Right. Right. So, so, right. So, so the DNA happens to be the source code of life. We are just scratching the surface, just trying to understand what our, our DNA does, how it expresses and things like that. What are you most excited for in your research? And what do you think if we understand, if the understanding of what part of uh, like DNA or, or anything else, if you think if research were well and if understood, will open up the pathway to human longevity, according to you. I will tell you, however, so what am I most excited about? Um, well, there's a couple of things I'm excited about, and it relates to some of the work that I'm doing in my lab. So one of the things I'm excited about is discovering genetic variants that are associated with exceptional human longevity like uh, in uh, supercentenarians, individuals over 110 years of age. So do they have particular genetic variants that confer um, this exceptional longevity? Because, you know, there's some evidence from centenarians that they can have certain genetic variants that protect them from diseases. So that's something I'm excited, is identifying genes that protect against diseases using exceptionally long-lived human beings and also exceptionally long-lived species like the like the like whales which is one of the the animals that we study uh, at the dna level so we've studied the bowhead whale which is the longest lived mammal been estimated to live over 200 years so that's one of the things i'm excited about is understanding identifying genes and genetic variants associated with exceptional uh, longevity and disease resistance um, so that's one aspect I'm excited. Um, I'm also excited about trying to better understand how genetic programs work. I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, one idea, or I guess one hypothesis I have, I, I'm going back to mechanisms of aging, is that, so I don't think it's just damage accumulation aging. I think there is um, an influence of uh, genetically determined programs to aging. Um, and if we can understand, if we can tackle the complexity of biology, understand better those programs, then we have a way of, we may have a way of intervening in aging. Um, so to give one example, it is, if you look at uh, human thymus, actually any mammalian thymus, it uh, involutes, it degenerates with age, it shrinks, it actually becomes a, a mass of fat. Now the thymus is involved in the immune system. It, uh, you know, it's, it's involved in the development of T cells. Uh, T cells stand for thymus cells. So, um, so it's important in the immune system and in the involution of the thymus is thought to be one of the reasons why our immune system becomes less effective with age. Um, perhaps uh, it's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, we have a higher incidence of infectious diseases with age, you know, like COVID-19. So we also know now from um, animal studies that you can take a single gene and you can activate it in the thymus of animals and the thymus regenerates. It becomes rejuvenated just by changing a single transcription factor. But this is a particular gene, a transcription factor involved in the development of the thymus. So basically, if you activated it in all animals, the thymus rejuvenates and regenerates. So, so what it shows is that, yes, we have a process of aging, but it's not just damaged. It is to some degree, there are programmatic aspects to it. Um, there's some element of genetic regulation to it. 
that at least in animals, we can tweak, we can change. So, and there's no reason to think it's not going to be possible in humans as well. So something else I'm quite excited about is exactly understanding those genetic mechanisms, um, figuring them out. And again, going back to what I was saying earlier, this is complicated because the genome is quite complex, but figuring them out and then intervening or developing ways of doing gene therapy to, um, to intervene in, um, in inducing rejuvenation and regeneration of human tissues. Um, so that, that's something I'm quite excited. And it is some work that we're doing. We're, I mean, we're also doing this in collaboration with a company, Centaura, that I'm also involved in. Right, right. Yeah. So, so yes. I mean, there's something extremely weird happening, you know, because you spoke about centenarians, and you know a few who have the most funkiest lifestyle. <laughs> they drink, they, they smoke, but somehow they they have lived uh, really long. Maybe it's it's the genomes at play, and and then you spoke about the, these whales. You know, then there are these tardigrades, these mole rats, you know, some other animals who live really long. You know, even the jellyfish, Turritopsis uh, don't. Uh, don't don't mean, I don't know whether I got the pronunciation right. Now that uh, it almost lives forever, you know, because it keeps on rejuvenating itself. That is something extremely weird, weird going on in the animal world. So, do you think the further understanding of the genomic composition of these animals, you know, whether it's the tardigrades, the whales, the mole rats, or, or, or these jellyfish? Mm-hmm. Could they play a role or assist in helping human longevity? Uh, yes, absolutely. I'm very excited about it. Um, so it is something that, um, you know, my lab, we've, uh, we've done quite a lot of work, uh, which is uh, studying these extreme animals, animals that have traits, that have capacities that we don't have. So, so that is something I'm, uh, I'm very excited about, I'm very interested in. Um, it's not that trivial. I mean, I think part of the problem is that, you know, we can argue we don't even understand human biology very well, as, as I was saying earlier. So how come we're going to understand the biology of this, you know, long-lived or disease-resistant or radiation-resistant organisms? I mean, that's, that's something that's quite remarkable. So, so it is challenging. Uh, it is challenging. It's not that trivial. I do think it's a, you know, it's a high risk approach, but it's also a high reward approach you know, because you can look into, you know, genetic variants in um, in animals, for example, associated with longevity. Um, but and by animals, I mean traditional model systems. But those are short lived. And what I think it's more, you know, would have a bigger impact on humans is you know, learning from this species that have traits that we don't have. Um, So I think it's, on one hand, it's risky, but on the other hand, it's a high reward. And it's, I think it's a very exciting approach. I had the privilege of doing Dr. Harold Catcher. So he was one of the uh, the person who was involved in the research uh, where he was leveraging young blood plasma. Uh, and uh, it, it showed, I think, close to 50% results in, in, in uh, human longevity or age reversal. And, and, and the media was super excited. So what, what are your thoughts on Dr. Catcher's research? And besides that, and there are others like you know, Dr. Aubrey Degree, David Sinclair, and some of the top funded companies are tackling or trying to solve the problem of aging and even immortality, right? So, so which approach of your peers you think are the most promising according to you? And when do you see age reversal become a realistic 
realistically possible. So obviously, there are three questions that are packed into one thing. Your views on doc- Dr. Catcher's uh, uh, report and uh, which uh, approach excites you the most and when do you see age reversal becoming realistically, realistically possible? So I think there's lots of very exciting um, science being done out there, very promising leads. Um, I mean, you mentioned David Sinclair. I mean, he just published uh, an article that was in the cover of Nature. So in the last issue of Nature on um, reversal of aging in the, uh, in the eyes of, uh, of mice. And so that was incredible. So I think there's very exciting approaches. I mean, that's not trivial to do in humans. Uh, it's a gene therapy approach that focuses on reprogramming cells. So using the Yamanaka factors, so the Yamanaka factors that, you know, that allow you to induce pluripotency and essentially reverse cells to an earlier developmental stage. So I think that's very exciting. I think it fits with some of the ideas I was telling you earlier about understanding the developmental programs and understanding how we can ultimately use those to reset development and reset uh, biological age. So I think that's very exciting. Uh, I mean, I, I guess there's a lot of exciting research. The problem is that, you know, it's not easy to translate to humans. I mean, it's very complicated to do those kind of approaches in humans. Um, so that is that is the big challenge. And also, will they work in humans? I mean, that's the other question, because just because something works in mice doesn't mean it's going to work in humans. So we talked about the young blood. Um, yes, there's evidence that... Um, Young blood will have benefits in old animals, in old mice, will be the same in humans. We don't know. I mean, if you think about cancer, I mean, we tend to cure cancer in mice all the time. You know, it's like every time I look at the news, yeah, well, new, new way of curing cancer in mice. That's fantastic. But that doesn't mean it's going to work in humans because humans are not just big mice. Humans are have a lot of basic similarities in terms of biochemistry and biology to mice, but they're not mice. They're different. They have different characteristics. There's differences in biology and there's differences in lifespan. Mice only live a few years. Humans can live over 100. So there are differences. So that is the big challenge uh, uh, for the field as a whole, is that there's a lot of exciting results um, from David Sinclair and, and uh, young blood in at the level of pharmacological developments, lots of drugs that extend lifespan in mice and retard aging. There's a lot of exciting development in rodents, uh, in animal models, broadly speaking, but will they work in humans? And that is really the big gap we still have in our knowledge. Um, and the big challenge, I think, for the field is going from all of these animal studies into human beings. If you see most of the drugs, you know, when they develop, they're t- test- tested first in, in mice, and then eventually, obviously, they succeed in humans. So I- I'm just being extremely positive about this. Are you positive about age reversal being a possibility in or lifespan, I mean, what is the timelines that mm-hmm. you would want to give of age reversal becoming realistically possible? And what approach uh, amongst your peers you think has the best chance of reaching their first? Uh, okay, so first of all, in terms of drug discovery, yes, you can have a drug that works in mice that you test in preclinical models and then works in humans. But that's actually rare. The majority of drugs that go through clinical trials. So, so the way it works is you have some preliminary results. You have some data. could be from human cells, could be from mice, could be from rats. I mean, you have some data uh, suggesting that a particular drug or particular therapy is going to work. You can test it in preclinical models. That's going to be things like mice, rats, 
you know, rabbits. I mean, there's different models that can be used. Uh, and then you can progress to clinical trials, that is, to people. You give the, the drugs to people. And clinical trials, you know, they go through different phases. You start with, you know, relatively small number of patients and so on, and it starts to grow. Uh, the vast majority of drugs fails. I think about 80% of drugs that go through clinical trials fail, either because they don't have the benefits in humans that they have in mice or in pre other preclinical models, or because they have side effects in humans that they don't have in preclinical models. So, uh, so those, are, those are the problems we have. And in diseases like neurodegenerative disease and Alzheimer's, I think the rate is higher. I think maybe, maybe over 90% of drugs fail. Uh, and these are very expensive, time-consuming studies. So really, um, and that, that's a big problem for pharmaceutical companies, actually, because they have to invest a lot of money in research, a lot of money and time in, um, in clinical trials for most of them to fail in the end. Um, so it's not, it's not trivial to go from preclinical animal studies to human studies. A lot of, a lot of bad things can happen in between uh, and do happen. Um, so that, 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 that's, I think, the big problem we have. Uh, in fact, some of the work I'm doing is in terms of drug repurposing. So can we figure out human drugs? Um, well, drugs are already used in humans for some purpose, i.e. for which we know, for example, side effects. Can we repurpose those for other conditions? Can we take a drug that's used for, you know, time two diabetes and, you know, tell that it's also useful for Alzheimer's disease. So that's something that, that I'm doing and others are doing as well. And if you look at some of the, the work, for example, of Nir Barzilai in terms of metformin, it's based on that premise. And metformin is used to treat type 2 by diabetes, and, well, mostly a couple of other conditions as well. Uh, it seems to have a lot of benefits in type 2 diabetes. Um, can you use it for other clinical conditions as well? So that is that's really is a lot of the, the difficulties we have and how we're trying to tackle it. So, for example, use machine learning and data-driven approaches again to figure out which compounds, which drugs that are used for particular conditions, how whether they can be used for other human conditions. Um, now, answering your life, so so that that's just to give a notion of the difficulties that we have. Um, as for what I most what I find most promising, well, I still actually I still think pharmacological approaches are the most promising because we know how to do it. We know how to go from a drug to you know a clinical application. Interventions like cellular reprogramming, gene therapy, um, young blood, they might have a greater potential, but in terms of difficult challenges, they have greater challenges in terms of human applications. So that is the problem. So, uh, I mean, I, I am fairly optimistic about the development of longevity drugs. There are several trials, clinical trials already for, for longevity drugs. Uh, you know, even if 80% of them fail, which is the average for the pharmacological industry, if we can get 20% of them to work, um, that would still mean we have a couple of, uh, of longevity drugs uh, being available. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, that that's, that's what I think we're going to have in terms of the long-hanging fruit. I guess in the long term, I mean, there's only so much you can do about aging with drugs, right? So even in animal models, that's true. There's only so much you can manipulate. So I guess in the long term, uh, I'm excited about, um, you know, more radical approaches like, like gene therapy, um, like cellular reprogramming, you know, figuring out ways of inducing regeneration or rejuvenation. But I think those are going to take longer um, to be available. I, I see that, you know, this 
is the biggest problem of mankind people aging which leads to death diseases right and and somehow i i see that some of the top minds are working in silos you know i mean when you talk about artificial intelligence that's open ai there's group of people trying to come together and collaborate and solve a problem together when i when you talk about ar vr you know that there's open ar structure which we kind of laying the frameworks architecture for so people can come together and solve problem as a collective now mm-hmm. just last night i i, I read that scientists in the tel aviv university and the shamir medical center have published their breakthrough in anti aging research finding with hyperbaric oxygen treatment so, so there are these so many different approaches you pointed out a few but somehow the progress seems to be very slow do you think um, we need a, a collaborative plot platform where everybody comes together because this is one of the biggest problem of mankind do you think that is needed so everybody can come together and kind of find a solution because quicker the better there'll be less people dying and and you know less people uh, falling sick most importantly so so what are your views on something like that so i think there's there's okay so there's a couple of different points that you to that you touch a point there i guess so first of all we have to look into so in a broader picture of biological biomedical research you know there's a lot of research going on yes um i mean there are intrinsic difficulties we talked about like the complexity of biology so i mean if you look at the field of cancer i mean cancer is a much bigger field than aging you know there's way more money way more companies way more academics way more scientists working on cancer than on aging and they still haven't figured it out <laughs> so you know they do a lot more with a lot more resources with a lot more money and they haven't figured it out So uh I mean there has been advances there are you know there has been advances okay in cancer you know uh for, I mean I'm, it's not surprising given that there's been billions of dollars invested in cancer for decades so there has been advances um, childhood cancers in particular there are some some treatments that allow patients to live longer than ever before um there's other types of cancer like pancreatic cancer for which there's been basically no progress there are no treatments now that existed 20 years ago um well effective treatments so so there has been some progress in some cancers not some progress in others i think overall when you th- look at cancer as a problem i think it is disappointing that it's not being we don't have a cure for cancer yet if you look at articles uh beginning of last century you know they were saying you know uh, yeah you know 100 years from now in the 21st century cancer will be cured and it's not and we're not even close to it um at least at least in humans i mean in in mice you can probably cure it many times so so that is a, i think there's a reflection of the difficulties we have in biological and biomedical research which is we have a lot of complexity we have a lot of things we don't understand so it's to some degree we're playing in the dark you know we're trying to to find a way to tackle these problems without understanding them uh, aging is even more complicated than cancer i would argue it's more more complex um and we don't have as many resources so what we end up having is this small incremental breakthroughs i mean we're not even sure i would call them breakthroughs but these small incremental advances or discoveries that provide a little more knowledge 
Um, but we still don't understand what's the driver factors of human aging. Um, I mean, what causes human aging? I mean, we know a little bit about genetics and environment, but we don't really know what causes the human aging process. Um, and then we have the other problem that I mentioned earlier, which is, yes, there are some exciting studies coming from animal models. But to go from animal models to human, you know, that, that's a big, there's a massive gap in there. There's a, it's a big, uh, it's a big, a lot of hurdles in going from animal models to humans. So that is, I, I guess that is the overall issues that we have. And that's not just in aging, that's in biological and biomedical research in general. Right. So, so your protein folding has been one of the biggest problems, right? We just recently, DeepMind's AlphaFold 2 sought uh, the protein folding challenge. So do you see artificial intelligence uh, playing a role in finding or helping research or progress for human longevity? Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, we do some, um, some machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, and there has been some applications in trying to identify biomarkers of aging, try to identify new, um, new targets, um, trying to identify new drugs. There could be applications in aging. So that's something we have done. Um, I think the, the challenge still is going from basic research to, to uh, translational. So we can identify candidate drugs. So, for example, using computational approaches, including machine learning and artificial intelligence, we can employ these approaches to predict new compounds that extend lifespan. And then we can go and test them. I mean, we've done some experiments in worms. Um, we've done, you know, collaboratively, we've done work in rodents as well, and it all works. But going to humans still, that, that is still the big challenge. So I think that now you can use also artificial intelligence machine learning to study human genetics and biology. Again, that's something we've done. Um, but it will not give you all the answers also because we don't have all the data. Um, so by all the data, I mean, you can have a lot of, it's easier to collect data from animal models than it is from human beings. So that is, that's the problem. Uh, so, so that is, that's, that's really is the, the challenge we face is yes, we can have all of these predictive models, but we still need to go and test them. We still need to go and, um, particularly for clinical applications, you know, there's no shortcuts. I mean, if you have, um, even if you have the most promising intervention from machine learning, you think that will allow you to live 200 years, you still have to test it. I mean, uh, nobody's going to take something that is untested because it could have unpredictable side effects. Um, and I guess, and I guess that's general for, for biomedical research Overall, the other problem, I guess, a specific problem we have in aging is that things take time. I mean, in cancer, you actually, well, you have cancer cell lines that you can test. You can use cancer cells to test your hypothesis. Sure, that's not the same as, you know, a tumor in a person, but it gives you some hints. We don't really have appropriate models uh, of aging um, in vitro, in cells. We don't have that great models of, of aging in cells that we can then extrapolate to humans. Um, so, and then if we want to look at a intervention affecting aging, well, that takes time. I mean, you can use biomarkers, you can, but it still takes time. It's not, not something that's immediate. So those are fundamental bottlenecks, I think, in research, um, in particular in aging that we can't overcome. 
Um, I mean, I, I often say it doesn't matter how much money you put into a problem like aging or how much resource, you still have to do those experiments. You can have all the machine learning, all the computational, you can have all the scientists in the world trying to figure out. It still takes time. It's a little bit like the COVID-19 vaccine. It's incredible we've done it so quick, but it still took time. I mean, you could go to the lab, you can make your RNA vaccine, you still have to test it. They had to test it in thousands of people. You still have to do that. You, <laughs> right? You're not going to put something unproven in people. So you still have to go through those clinical trials. They did it incredibly fast. But it still took, uh, it, it still took uh, nearly a year for them to, to do this because you have to go through those steps. And same for aging. And that, that's inevitable. Uh, and so that, that's, I think, the fundamental difficulty and challenge uh, of developing therapies for aging is that it takes time. We, you know, we don't have a great understanding of the biology, of the intrinsic biology, because and it's complex. And even if we have something promising, we still have to test it. And it's not that trivial, particularly, I mean, how do you test an intervention for human aging? I mean, that, that's, there's another problem, which is a regulatory framework. Um, you can test something for cancer. If you have a drug that you think it's going to um, cure cancer, uh, you can do a clinical trial for it. That, that's possible. If you have a drug that you think is going to retard aging, you know, at the moment, there's really no way of testing that for aging. I mean, you can do a test for a particular clinical condition, like a, you know, a disease, uh, but there's, that's still not going to be a test for aging. So there's also a problem at the regulatory framework that we, we still need to solve. Yeah, I think that there are so many bottlenecks, you know, but I hope that, you know, we collectively kind of overcome it and come to a point mm -hmm. where we create vulnerability. So digressing a little bit, you know, yes. we also are, uh, you know, you're just in your LinkedIn post as you're a futurist. So CRISPR-Cas9 as a genetic editing tool has got all the attention at this point in time. And there's Greg Venter who says that he wants to bring extinct animals back to life like mammoths and things like that. And there's this biotech visionary, uh, uh, Dr. Andrew Hessel. He's the founder of Human Geno Genomics. And he wants to synthetically engineer life. You know, we can currently read and write genomes what are your views on that and what's the timelines you know because there is already i think there are some people who have actually engineered extra uh, dna letters so when do you think something like that is possible or it's completely science fiction crap? i think that there are a lot of very exciting possibilities in uh, in genetic manipulations of aging i mean as, as we talked earlier it's possible to tweak genes and extend lifespan in animals um, you know, we know of some candidate genes from long-lived species that protect against diseases. So absolutely, I'm very optimistic about applying those to humans. There's problems at, uh, you know, uh, getting, making sure, doing the trials to make sure those work in humans. So that, there's still this gap between animal models and, and, um, and the clinical applications that we spoke about earlier. So that's still the problem. Um, I am excited about things like uh, artificial life. I mean, one of the projects that I'm working with um, with this company, Centaura, uh, is uh, it focuses exactly on uh, uh, looking at uh, developing artificial chromosomes that permit better, more efficient um, gene therapies for human beings. So I am very excited about that. I, I certainly think it's possible. Um, I certainly think that this artificial life, well, artificial approaches or synthetic Synthetic approaches, synthetic biology approaches uh, are very exciting. Um, so, so it is something I'm quite 
um, excited about, and I think they have long-term applications. I mean, it's it's again, it, there's a lot of steps we have to go through before we have a a clinical application for aging. But in terms of power, it really is impressive. It's got much more power than much more promise than pharmacological approaches. I think pharmacological approach longevity drugs will come first. Yes, I think that that's going to come first. Um, but that only really has, a, a, I would say, a modest impact. Um, even though I mean, if we could retard aging, even if slightly, that would still be remarkable. But uh, when we're talking about things like rejuvenation and really curing aging, the only way I see it is really we have to redesign human life. We have to redesign human biology. And the only way you can do that is by modifying our genes, is by tweaking our genes. Um, you know, we may need quite a lot, actually. That's why I'm excited about things like synthetic biology and this artificial chromosomes approaches. Very last question. So, so bio, biohackers are experimenting with intermittent fasting and some are also self-diagnosing, you know, off-the-shelf uh, uh, available medicines, you know, such as carnosine, metformin, NDA plus enzyme, etc. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, what would you suggest you know, to my listeners, you know, who are really, who believe and are hooked on to uh, waiting for, you you know, the age reversal to happen, what should we do right now to kind of help us age better? <laughs> I mean, that's a great question. I mean, frankly, I, I, I think it depends on how long you you want to undergo this, uh, how, how much suffering you want to, to undergo. Um, I mean, the point is that, so, you know, some people do fasting. I mean, I, I cannot do fasting. I mean, I, I mean, I get incredibly grumpy when I'm hungry. So, so, you know, there's no way I can do fasting. Uh, I need to eat. I'm sorry. I, so I think it's about finding a balance that works for you. So I try to, to exercise. I mean, I'm, um, I play football, I go to the gym. Uh, so I, I try to have, uh, some, uh, an active lifestyle, um, but I still, you know, I still eat meat. I occasionally eat ice creams. I love ice creams, you know, particularly in the summer. I was in Portugal, beautiful, sunny Portugal in the summer. Of course, I had some ice creams, you know. <laughs> you know, what's the point of living a long life if you don't enjoy it, right? So, so I think it's about finding that balance. Um, so having a lifestyle that is healthy, at least that's what I try to do. But there is a limit that, you know, for example, I don't do fasting. Um, if you can do that, that might be helpful. I think there is there is evidence that it is healthy for you. I mean, are you going to live much longer uh, because of that? I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I think some people will, some people won't. I mean, the, the, the fact is, I mean, I can die today just, you know, being run over by a car or being in a car accident. I mean, so so you also have to, to keep that in mind, that there are, that there's this balance between enjoying life and also preparing or at least uh, having the lifestyle that optimize your health. Um, so so my that, that's kind of how, how I see it. And it will depend from person to person. And my advice is, you know, be happy. You know, life life is so short. You might as well be happy while you're here. <laughs> ah, lovely, lovely. What, what a note to end on. Thank you. It's a pleasure and honor to talk to you. And yes, I, I think we're living in exciting times and there are exciting things happening. I mean, with technology, uh, you know, everything has come together. COVID has kind of ac accelerated all those technologies which were on a, a, a creeping mechanism has suddenly come to the forefront. Possibly, maybe, you know, if, if we all come and work together rather than working in the silos, maybe things could get further accelerated because 
we are living in fantastic time. There are all of these technologies which uh-huh. can completely transform our, our lives. So I am super excited for, for the future. And uh, on that note to my listeners, if you like what you see on here, please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank my you. pleasure.